0: Well, happy early Thanksgiving to all of you. It's a week I always look forward to, and we have some great things happening as Pastor Sean related. um, Tomorrow's going to be a a mixture of grief and joy anytime you have a homecoming celebration. um, Just just hard when you don't expect that person to go so soon, and so uh, be in prayer for the Lewis family. After... The service and the meal we will be doing the hanging of the greens here in the church so if you'd like to help decorate the church you're welcome to come join us no Wednesday night church this week um, and then Sunday morning it's going to be great just to gather and worship and celebrate at 10:30 together and, and I encourage you guys to come at nine if you've been a part of life group continue to do so uh, but uh, that's something unique that we're doing and then come you know our Christmas this year is on a Sunday and so we're going to do something similar. We're just going to have one service on Christmas Day as well, just like Thanksgiving. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 6. Today's sermon is entitled, Who Can Stand in God's Presence? The last two weeks, we've talked about God's presence. We sing about God's presence. We pray for God's presence in our lives. We want to hear. We want God to hear our cries. We want to hear His voice. But we have learned that there are certain truths, certain rules that have to be followed when you approach God. Two weeks ago, we saw how the Israelites lost God's presence because they sought to manipulate and control God. And so we all have to be aware of that in our prayer time and the way we approach our life. We can get to a place where we do what we want to do and then ask God to bless us. And that doesn't work that way. If God's in charge and God and Lord of all, he's in charge. So you can live like you want the power of God without a relationship, but if you lose your fear and respect of God, you're going to lose his presence. Last week, we saw God's presence working in the enemy territory. As the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines, we see that God has to introduce himself to the lost pagans without the assistance of his people who look nothing like him. And so, we saw that in order to be in relationship with God, respect and trust must be established first. So God had to show them that their gods were worthless, that they were powerless, that he was God and Lord of all. And we saw that with the the idol Dagon fallen before the Ark of the Covenant and his head and and hands removed. We we saw that um, everywhere, every Philistine town the Ark went to, that disease and death broke out. And that the Philistines eventually had to figure out a way how to return the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, because they were suffering from the fact that they did not respect God as Lord of all. And so our conclusion last week is that God wants the world to know him, but not to be terrified of him. That's not his goal. When God's people fail to share his character, God has to move in such a way that he has to establish his authority and power first. God's ultimate goal is for every person in existence to experience his love and his presence in such a way that it's like a father to a child. But even in that familial relationship, in order for that love and grace to be experienced, there has to be a respect of God's authority. There has to be respect of a parent's authority in order for that relationship to work the right way. So God ultimately wants his people to look like him so that those who are lost can see him in us. He's always preparing the hearts of the lost and the desperate that we interact with every day. It's just our opportunity to walk in in such a way in our faith relationship with God that wherever we go, God's spirit, his presence, his character is seen in us. And people have the opportunity to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that's his goal. So as we pick up this morning, the ark is being returned to the Israelites after God has defeated the enemy without raising a sword. And, uh, and we'll see their reaction. 1 Samuel chapter 6, verses 13 through 16. The people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting wheat in the valley. And when they saw the ark, they were overjoyed. The cart came into the field of a man named Joshua and stopped beside a large rock. So the people broke up the wood of the cart for a fire and killed the cows and sacrificed them to the Lord as a burnt offering. Several men of the tribe of Levi lifted the ark of the Lord and the chest containing the gold rats and gold tumors from the cart and placed them on the large rock. Many sacrifices and burnt offerings were offered to the Lord that day by the people of Beth Shemesh. The five Philistine rulers watched all of this and then returned to Ekron that same day. Now let's talk about Beth Shemesh briefly. It's a town that's inhabited by Levites. If you remember, the Levites were a special people group within the tribes of Israel in that they didn't receive land of their own. They were designated to uh, protect, preserve, and um to to guide the worship of the nation. And so Levites, the Levites would take their turns working at the tabernacle and eventually the temple. And so every tribe would give the Levites places to live within their own tribe and community. And Beth Shemesh was a place where the Levites dwelt. This is important to note because when the Ark of the Covenant shows up at Beth Shemesh, these are the people that should know how worship works. They're the Levites. They're the ones in charge of it. They're the ones that have been trained. And so they should know how, it, how you're capable of standing in God's presence. Now, being a border town, this town it gets fought over throughout Israel's history, especially between the Philistines and the Israelites. Philistines, another way of saying the Philistines, what their name really, literally means is sea people. So most likely they came across from the Mediterranean Sea. And there's this flat, beautiful plain right there. And so this is the land that's being fought over between the Mediterranean Sea and the mountain range where we find Jerusalem and Bethlehem and all these other places. And so Beth Shemesh is on the border. And if you look at Israel's history, some of the Philistine towns that were named in the previous chapter like Gath and Ekron sometimes are Israelite towns. It just It depends on who's been winning the battles. Imagine me with me, if you will, that you've been slaves of the Philistines for seven months. For seven months, the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence has been in Philistine territory, and you've been under their thumb for seven months. Worship has been decimated because the high priests are dead besides Samuel, and God's presence, the Ark, is in enemy hands. So what do you do as a Levite when your whole existence is dedicated to the worship of God. What do you do when there is no presence of God in the tabernacle anymore and your leadership is gone? What do you do? Well, people of Beth Shemesh pick up farming. What's the point of worship if God's presence is gone? They're without a calling. Now, it doesn't seem like it's forced labor. It doesn't say that it's forced labor. But these are desperate times, hopeless times, fearful times. And we can relate to this, right? Not with a physical oppression and of an evading force, but the heaviness of the unknown. The change of our daily patterns. A constant fear. Maybe even in the past couple of years you suffered hopelessness. And so um, we've been saturated with these thoughts and these feelings and this heaviness and this weight. And so the question that comes up Is where is God moving? Where is God moving? I look around me and I don't see God moving. Where is He moving? But on that fateful evening, after a full day of working, the sun sun starting to to set, imagine this cart rolling up. You hear the noise before you see the cart go over the ridge. It's this beautiful, you know, the sun, is probably a purple sky, it's just beautiful. You hear this cart and you start hearing, right, the, the lowing of the cattle. And over this ridge, coming from the enemy territory, you see this weird cart. Huh, that's weird. Nobody's guiding that cart. Those cows are acting funny. And then you see what's on the back of the cart. Maybe a shimmer of gold, first of all. And then you recognize what it is. The Ark of the Covenant. God's presence has returned. In the distance, you can see five horses with riders on top of them. They look important, they look powerful. You're in Beth Shemesh, there's not a lot of people that are riding horses in your area. Maybe you even recognize them as Philistines. And yet, in that moment, you don't care because God's presence has returned. So what do you do? You do what you're called to do. We're Levites. We're called to worship. They set the ark on a big rock. They tear apart the cart for firewood. They kill the cattle. They sacrifice them in front of the ark as an act of worship. And remember, the sacrificial system is designed for forgiveness. God doesn't delight in the death of anything. But in order to be in relationship with God, something has to die in our place. And so these poor cows that have been separated from their calves and whine the whole way are now a sacrifice to God. They're recognizing, oh, God, forgive us. Can you imagine what that party would have been like? God's presence is back and their enemy willingly gave it up. Do you want that moment? Could life get any better? Do you long for an experience with God? Yeah. I long for a gathering together where I see people's hearts move. I see bodies healed. I see souls saved. I want to see people so overcome with the love of God that they don't want to leave this room. I want to worship God so freely that I don't care who else is around me. I want to feel free to break out my best dance moves. And I don't care if a kid's mocking me or laughing at me. That's one thing I'll always remember about Mike Lewis and his daughter Allie. Right about where Sean's sitting. His daughters would be there. One would be hanging on them and Allie would dance and worship in the aisle, and she would hold her daddy's hand and just twirl. She got it. And her daddy didn't stop her. Hmm. I want to see and experience that kind of freedom and joy in God's presence. I want a best Shemesh moment. After 2020 and beyond, don't you want that? where we are just free in God's presence and released in a fire. Verse 19. But the Lord killed 70 men from Beth Shemesh because they looked into the ark of the Lord. And the people mourned greatly because of what the Lord had done. Who is able to stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? And they cried out, Where can we send the ark from here? So they sent messengers to the people of cariath Jerem and told them, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come here and get it. So the men of cariath Jerem came to get the ark of the Lord and they took it to the hillside home of Abinadab and ordained Eliezer, his son, to be in charge of it. The ark remained in Kiriath Jerem for a long time, 20 years in all. During that time, all Israel mourned because it seemed the Lord had Abandon him. This amazing experience, what we all desire, was short-lived. Why? Because they still had not learned the lesson that you cannot worship God any way you want to. This loving, intimate experience has to be balanced with reverence and respect. And you know, guys, I think Many times, that's why we're not experiencing what we want to experience in this place. Because we haven't learned the first lesson. He has to be revered. He has to be respected. What he says has to be applied and obeyed in our life. And if we're willingly not living that way, how can we expect the fullness of his presence? And in this passage, you have what we read last week about Philistine territory and all that. Here in Beth Shemesh, in the middle of a worship service, these Israelites, these Levites, experienced the same wrath that the Philistines experienced, the pagans experienced. Because they didn't treat him with the same respect that the all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere God deserves. Now, I don't mean to lighten the mood too much, but Pastor Sean was like, are you going to show another video clip today? Are we going to break out Raiders of the Lost Ark? I said, I don't think I can have heads exploding on the screen on Sunday morning. But, but we get a picture of that, don't we? In, in that movie of they open the ark and God's wrath comes. But 70 men die. 70 men die. Why? Because their curiosity overcame word of the Lord. Instead of believing God and understanding the honor it is to be able to worship a holy God, they once again took him for granted. I think sometimes God waits to reveal his full presence because he knows if he does, we're going to make it into something different. Sometimes we monetize it. How can we make money off this? Sometimes we, we want to make a name for ourselves. Sometimes we want to be an established as a movement and we market it and we sell it. They treat the sacred as common and the ark as a treasure chest rather than something too sacred to even touch. I think it's the same desire, the same sin that led... Sin into the world in the Garden of Eden. A desire for knowledge not meant for us. A desire for an experience that God says no to. Guys, God sometimes tells you no, <laughs> He does. There are rules and guidelines and limitations to our short lives here on this earth. We're not allowed to go to any place we want to, watch any show that we desire, read every book available, or experience every pleasure our heart desires. To be in relationship with God is to abide by his standards of what it takes to be in relationship with him. This shouldn't be odd or strange to us. I think part of our problem as Americans is we take pride in our freedoms. We demand our freedoms. We demand our way. But freedom itself always has a price. It's always paid for by the sacrifice and blood of others. And so I think it's no different than our faith. Again, I liken it to marriage. In order to get married, you have to sacrifice your independence as an individual. We, we glamorize marriage and all the rest. And, and yes, it's, it is a God-given institution. I'm not downplaying marriage, but the flip side of marriage is you are <laughs> choosing to, to put yourself into the servitude of another for the rest of your life together. That's it. You're committing to being able to say no to more. When it was just you, you could say a yes to a lot of things. But to be in that relationship, it means that things have to change for you. You don't go to the places your spouse is not comfortable with. There are certain relationships that you avoid and you no longer keep. Certainly, there's intimacies that belong to your spouse only. And you jealously do what it takes to protect that marriage, not allowing anything to hinder that growth that you have committed to. It becomes your first relationship. That's why in Scripture so many times it's repeated, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Well, why does it keep repeating the man will leave his father and mother? Because that is the most important relationship up until that point. That loyalty, that commitment, that respect comes first. And after marriage, it shifts to your helpmate. And mom and dads don't naturally give that up, nor do their kids realize how different that relationship is. Why do we treat our relationship with God any different? It takes number one priority. If we don't respect our spouses and their wishes, why do we think they'll respect us? A vibrant, loving, and passionate relationship cannot be experienced without following the limitations and guidelines that relationship demands. Once again, men die for their lack of respect for God. Why does he hate them? Does he hate them? No. Without a holy fear, a relationship can't grow. So God refuses to be ignored, overlooked, or disrespected. God will not take second place, ever, and shouldn't. And if you are treating your faith as a part of your life instead of the goal of your life, then you'll never experience the fullness of that presence that you want and desire. So once again, the people of Beth Shemesh in this moment experience the greatest thing possible, the presence of God, and what do they do with it? They try to get rid of it just like the Philistines. And these are Levites. So are we just going through the motions here? Are we fooling ourselves? If God's presence comes in this place, now God's presence is everywhere. Let me make it clear, there's no place where God isn't. I'm saying a fullness of his presence, a coming of his presence in power, where there's conviction, where there's anointing, where there's healing. When that happens... Are we ready for it? Or is that conviction? Because it's going to come with conviction. Is that conviction going to be so heavy that we say, please leave? Or I'm out of here? My dad's sitting over there. He was part of the 1970 Asbury revival. And it wasn't planned, it wasn't orchestrated. It started with a Bible study. On campus, a group of students coming out of the 60s. And Asbury had its faults and flaws during that time period. And there were a handful of students that said, God, you got to move. And it happened at a chapel service. And you know what happened in that chapel service? Testimonies. Confession of sin. Confession of sin that could have cost professors and educators their positions. Could have cost students their enrollment in the school. A spirit of brokenness that led to revival. You want God's presence to work in power? The conviction needs to happen and occur first. So, what do you do when an army loses for their lack of respect of God, or a pagan nation, or a small town? You repent! You don't run from God's presence. You get on your knees. Their question at Beth Shemesh is, who can stand in the presence of God? And the answer is, no one. No one can stand in the presence of God. When God's presence comes in power, we have to get on our knees. We have to fall flat on our faces and say, God, I'm worthless, I'm useless. I'm a broken individual. I'm powerless on my own. I need you. I'm desperate for you. Change me from the inside out. I don't want a one-time experience that quickly fades away. I want to remain in the fullness of God's presence every day. But that requires me and you as individuals to be willing to face our sins and our shortcomings, our wrong attitudes and our wrong passions head on and be willing to confess that to God. It says, During that time all Israel mourned because it seemed the Lord had abandoned them. It may seem that way since 2020, but that's not true. God has not abandoned you. He will never abandon you. We may leave Him. We may pass Him off. We may refuse to lay down our rights to do what it takes to share our home with Him. God will not compromise or settle. He wants a passionate, vibrant relationship with you, or not at all. So, why isn't God's presence here in power? Well, let's start off by saying it's not your fault, God. Let's not blame God. The question is is your heart and life a place where He's welcome to come? Have you looked at things you shouldn't have? Have you allowed your curiosity to go beyond what God's Word says? You can be clean today. God, I can't forget what my eyes have allowed myself to see. Please cleanse me. Have you lusted after things you don't have and desire more? Desired them more than Him? Confess them to God. Scripture says He knows our hearts' desires before we ever speak it. He knows us better than we know ourselves. So you're not hiding anything from him. Confessing admits it. Confession allows us to work past that lie that there's a wall between us and God that he doesn't see. Let me remind you, he knows you and he still wants you. Have you sought out a knowledge or experience that has betrayed you, trapped you, or turned you into something you never wanted to be? There is always hope in Jesus. The power of the cross and the empty tomb conquers all. Every sin, every shortcoming, every fault, every flaw has been bought or paid for. So there's no reason why we can't experience the fullness of God and power. God wants to move in power at covenant. He wants to end this dry season for us, just like Bond Slusser used to come in and say, Pastor, I was dry this morning, but I got the word and I feel filled up. You know why Bond could feel that way? Because whether we asked for a testimony time or not, Bond offered up a testimony. He knew the catalyst for his growth was a transparent heart and a willingness to say, I need Jesus. God has not abandoned you, and he will not. He's simply waiting for us to fall on our knees before him instead of trying to stand in his presence. Lord, as as your word is spoken today, let us, your people, obey. God, we all want a happily ever after. But to have a happily ever after with you means that we walk your way. We see those things that you desire for us. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father in heaven. Your word commands us whatever's good, whatever's righteous, whatever's noble, whatever's just, think on these things. And yet, Lord, we have to confess today. We have to. That our eyes have seen things we shouldn't see. Our hearts desire things that will not satisfy. And we have opened the door to things in our lives that has betrayed us and turned us into something we never wanted to be. Forgive us when we've sought the fullness of your presence and we haven't done it with clean hearts. Thank you for not striking us dead like those 70 men. We live by your grace. And so this morning, God, we want you to heal us. presence is here now it's our choice to respond in your name we pray amen as the worship team comes forward i will ask that you do just that if god has spoken to your heart obey obey on your knees